Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hello everyone, this is the Stem Cells at Lunch Digested podcast. I'm Sam Blackford from the Centre of Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine here at King's College London and uh, delighted to be here with Dr Oliver Pierce today from the Barts Cancer Institute, Queen Mary University of London. Good Welcome. Morning, so I thought we'd start today just uh, talking a little bit about uh, your background in career development. So we have yeah. a, a target audience where we have lots of PhD students, junior postdocs, and also the, the public who will listen to this. And quite often they are very interested in knowing how people have got to where they are today. Yeah, so yeah. you're happy to discuss? Of course, yeah. I mean, I, so my, my background's in, uh, in chemistry, in, in, in organic chemistry mostly. And I... Um, started research actually in industry, so I worked for a pharmaceutical company called Merck Sharp and Dome. I worked for them for uh, a couple of years, got some great experience with them, um, and I wanted to move more into basic uh, uh, research and development. Um, decided to do a, a PhD, so I went and did a PhD um, in organic chemistry at uh, Oxford University with Ben Davis, and I had also had a uh, a little bit of oncology with that with that PhD, and that was with uh, Len Seymour also at Oxford. And uh, um, we focused on, for that work, a class of molecules, which is one of the building blocks of life, called carbohydrates. And uh, when I moved on from that position, I wanted to do more basic research, just looking at carbohydrates in, uh, in uh, cancer development. So there I moved to uh, San Diego, University of California, San Diego, for five years with um, a researcher called Ajit Varki. And uh, there we worked on a, one particular sugar, so just one sugar, uh, which is found in red meat. And yeah. it turns out that there was a link there between uh, that sugar, inflammation, and uh, the propensity for generating cancers. So uh, uh, when I came back to the UK, I wanted to do a bit more cancer research, and so I moved to Fran Borkel's lab at Bart's, and um, I, I started getting much more interested in what was happening outside of the cell. So the tissue, the extracellular matrix. Um, and I studied that with her for, for four years before starting my own lab, uh, which is still focused on looking at um, the, the tumor extracellular matrix, how immune cells interact with it. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah. So would you suggest people monitor how much red meat they're eating or just everything in moderation? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we've just said like everything in moderation. Obviously, there's a lot of benefits to eating red meat, but I think certainly the evidence is there that if you have a diet which is very high in, in uh, red meat and, and potentially dairy products as well, then um, there is a, a, a certainly a risk associated with that. Ah, so thank you for sharing that. That's a, a very interesting and well-travelled uh, <laughs> journey you've been on Oxford, California, very <laughs> wonderful places. Um, I was just wondering if you could share some insight in the kind of current <coughs> focus of the, the research programs your, your groups are, are, are doing yeah. today. Yeah, so I mean the, the, the big focus of our work at the moment is uh, looking at the immunotherapies of cancer. So these are new, relatively new strategies which work by reactivating your own immune system to f detect and kill cancers. Now when they work, they work very, very well. And indeed, in some cases, it looks like they can offer at least prolonged, um, increased quality of life, potentially even disease-free survival. So really exciting therapies. Mm. Only works for about 10%, 20% of patients. Okay. And we, we want to understand why. As I understand, the field of immunotherapy is evolving very rapidly at the moment, and it's 
breaking into the mainstream news and we're, we're seeing articles on all different platforms now. Um, and there are several different approaches that people may or may not be aware of. Some of these include checkpoint inhibitors and CAR-T therapies. I was just wondering if there is a particular innovation, innovation or uh, some preclinical research that you yourself has found particularly significant or exciting over the last few years. Um, so, I mean, I think we're, we're kind of tuned in a lot with the, uh, the antibody-based therapies. So we, we, we like um, uh, reactivating checkpoint uh, therapies at the moment. But, I mean, we also have colleagues who are working on uh, the CAR T-cell field as well. I mean, the, the type of work we're um, particularly focused on at the moment, we would see as kind of a one-size-fits-all uh, treatment, which would be applicable to all of these other immunotherapies that are currently pre present. And regarding uh, checkpoint therapies or checkpoint yeah. inhibitors, for those who are not familiar with them or maybe haven't heard of them at all, is there a, a, a nice way to uh, summarize them? So you have a, an immune cell which um, one, of its, one of its roles will be to survey a tissue and it will look for abnormal cells because abnormal cells would tend to present particular markers on their surface. And when they see this abnormal cell, those immune cells will, will kill it. Um, and that's, that's how your body is constantly surveying uh, cancers. What happens with a checkpoint um, molecule is cancers uh, put don't eat me patterns on their surface. And so when an immune cell comes along, it says, okay, I need to deactivate, I'm, I, don't need to, I don't need to kill this cell. Uh, so the checkpoint therapies work by blocking that interaction. And so um, the, the tumor is no longer able to hide from the, the immune cell. And the talk you're going to be giving us today here at uh, King's College, um, would you like to give a, a brief summary as to what yeah, that, yeah. that's going to cover? Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about, so one of the things I, I mentioned earlier was we, we have this interest in the tissue and the extracellular matrix. So I'll, I'll talk a bit about some of our founding work on that, looking at what the composition is of a, of a tumour extra, extracellular matrix um, and how it's different from a normal tissue. And then I'll talk a little bit about um, how we're looking at the, um, the function of these molecules. And, and I'll, I'll give you an example of uh, one of the models that we're building. So this is a 3D tumor model um, that you can grow in vitro. Um, and um, it, it reproduces uh, the human disease very well. Um, but obviously, because it's in vitro and, and, and not in the body, so it's just in a, in a lab, you can access lots of them and do lots of tests in one go. So you have mini tumours in a dish would be the, Basically, the, the yes. term that would be good to use. Yes. Exactly, exactly. And what uh, composition is this 3D model made up, made up of? Yeah, so it's made up of, so we have a very, we have a very good um, connection with our local hospitals. And so we're, we're lucky to make our models actually from patient tissues. So um, uh, um, we're very grateful to patients who do uh, sign up to uh, donate any of their tissues when they're having them removed anyway as part of their treatment, we get those tissues and we're, we're able to do our experiments with that work, with those, with those tissues. Yeah, it's a very kind, thoughtful uh, gift to research yes. from those patients, I agree. So by studying the, the extracellular matrix of these, these tumours, are you able to um, see differences between patients and maybe predict that how their cancer may progress or whether or not it's going to be operable? Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, 
you know, if you think think back, I mean, the, the very first symptoms for cancers were this change in extracellular matrix. The, the ancient Greeks were talking about it 3,000, 4,000 years ago. Um, and uh, for a long time, we've kind of just thought of it as this bystander effect. It doesn't really have any active mm. role. But I think the field has really changed now, not just in the how, we, how we're thinking about it, but other labs as well, that extracellular matrix actually has a an active role to play in tumour progression. So yes, we can, from the type of composition of a tumour, extracellular matrix, we can predict things like how, how well you'll respond to therapy, um, what your prognosis will be as well. Um, what we want to do is go a little bit beyond that, which is what we're working on at the moment, and actually pick out particular molecules which we think are important in uh, the immunity of the cancer or in, in therapy response, for example. And so if we can work out which, cul which of the culprits, we can work out ways of targeting them and hopefully improve response to treatment. And I was wondering as well, so we, we may see lots of upregulated proteins and molecules in the tumour. Could those that are downregulated or now missing be just as significant? I think it's a really, it's a really interesting question. And it's, uh, it's certainly something that we think about, but we're not actively working mm. on right now. But there are there are other labs that are looking at that. So yeah, uh, we we certainly see a number of uh, uh, components of the ECM which decreases with disease, and there are we know of some other labs that are looking at those. I think it's a great question. I think time will in, in a few years perhaps we'll, we'll know a bit more, maybe sooner. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I have one final question for, for today, um, and it's a very broad question, so I apologize <laughs> in advance. Uh, it's, uh, it's maybe one you've had before, but where do you see the, the future of cancer research heading? Um, for example, what are the, the major challenges, the roadblocks that as a field, as a scientific community, we have to overcome still? Yeah, one, one of the, the big problems have been that cancers are so heterogeneous and they're able to um, constantly evolve and change so that makes them very difficult to, to target it's like a it's like trying to it's like an arms race that you it's very difficult to win um, so I mean that's why I think a lot of if you look at what people are researching right now in therapies a lot of these things are now talking about targeting the tumor microenvironment mm -hmm. so not targeting the cancer cells directly but targeting the tumor microenvironment in our lab we we kind of feel like the, your body has everything it needs to detect and kill a cancer, but cancers are quite clever at cloaking themselves and hiding. And what we want to do is just basically enable our own natural defences to kill cancers. So I think you'll see more of that as time goes on. Oh, thank you. That's uh, some really nice insight. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. And I think I speak for everyone here at the centre today. We're very much looking forward to hearing your stuff out. Thanks, Sam. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.